Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We went from kicking dirt over a loss to PSG and a draw to Cadiz last week to pumping our fists after two clean sheets, five goals, and six points in La Liga. There were a lot of positive notes and solutions to chronic issues this week. We're going to break it down for you right now because this is Barca Talk. Welcome to the show. I'm Brian Henderson. Joining me today is Craig McGuff. Hello, everyone. And today we're getting into the two La Liga games Barca played last week. First, they finally got around to playing match day one against Elche. They won that 3 nothing. Then on Saturday, they met Sevilla, their most frequent opponent lately, uh, taking a 2 nothing win, six points out of six for this week. So first up, midweek against Elche, making up for match day one. About a month ago, Barca beat Elche 2-0 on match day 20. They managed that win without Messi, but they didn't have to worry about that this time. In this one, they got the 3-0 defeat, two for Messi and one for Jordi Alba, with the goal scoring starting in the second half. So on top of scoring three goals, Barca dominated the possession and only allowed Elche one shot on target. But apart from that, we're going to quickly go through what was the best, what was the worst, and what was the bleh from this game. Craig, why don't you start off with your best moment from this game? Uh, for me, I thought Trincao was brilliant again. I know he didn't play the full 90, uh, but I'm really impressed by how he's improving. Yeah, I mean, once he started scoring goals, it seemed like he's become more comfortable, for sure. Yeah, without doubt. Yeah, now for me, my best moment was actually Kuman's decision to make a substitution at the beginning of the second half. He actually took action when it mattered, taking out Pjanic, putting in Dembele, swapping a forward for a midfielder, right at the top of the second half. And it really did make a big difference. Yeah, agreed. I, I love I love how stoic Koeman is, but sometimes the pragmatism is what we need. And yeah, I agree. I thought it was a great move. Yeah. Now, what was worst for you in this game? Uh, for me, Messi's performance in the first half. I know, he, I know he came good in the second half, but no shots, one touch in the box. You know, one one attempted assist, just just poor. Yeah, no, I mean, again, the, the one shot assist for Trincao, which was a nice moment. But yeah, otherwise, very little coming from him. And even that one touch in the box, that was in that assist for Trincao. Yeah. For me, the worst was putting Griezmann on when Barca were three goals up with 15 minutes remaining in the game instead of ah, Puj, Mateos, Conrad, anyone but Griezmann. Like, why is he putting Griezmann in with only 15 minutes to go and you're three goals ahead? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think if, if Griezmann was struggling with confidence, maybe, but I don't think he is. I, I think it was perfect for Conrad. And likewise, I agree. I, I think it would have been a perfect game to bring one of those kids on. Now, what was bleh for you? <laughs> bleh, uh, meh, not, <laughs> good, neither good nor bad, but notable. <laughs> I think for, for me, there was, a, there was a free kick in the first half where Messi just put it in for De Jong and 
it it came to nothing. I, I just the amount of times I just sigh in disbelief when we put the ball in the air into the box. Flair, Flair, yeah, <laughs> and watch, he put it in perfectly. It's pointless. We can't we can't head it. So why do we keep continuing? So for me, it doesn't upset me. It I don't enjoy it. It's just. Uh, yeah. What about your What about your moment? Jordi Alba was pretty blah. He had one accurate cross in the yeah. whole game, and you can prove this by watching the game. But also, you can review the heat map like I did. He wasn't even getting near the byline like he normally does. He was. Uh, he wasn't terrible, but he wasn't very good. He was blah. Yeah, I, I, I completely good. Good Jordi is good Jordi. Anything other than good Jordi is pointless. <laughs> and I will stand my ground on that one. Don't at I- me, guys. No, I think you should stand your ground. You should definitely at him, guys. And, (laughs) Craig, you should stand your ground. (laughs) We'll do that. Yeah. Now, later in the episode, we're going to get into the Sevilla match from Saturday, of course. It was a lineup that forced all but every player to stay in their positions and made the team look more comfortable while also winning the game 2-0. But up next, we're going to take a closer look at this match against Elche and how Kuman's second-half changes showed one solution to an issue in the team that keeps coming up. That's in a minute. But if you'll indulge me, I do want to explain what I'm doing here on the show today. If you've been listening to this podcast for the last couple of years, you know that during this season, especially, we've been experimenting quite a bit with a bunch of different things, new voices, rotating teams, different formats, and so on. And because of that, we haven't always been super consistent with what's on the show. And that's been a problem for some of you and not a problem at all for others. Either way, I do want to thank you for sticking with us through all these experiments. But right now we're settled in for the remainder of the season. I'm going to be hosting every episode from now to the end of the season. I'll be joined by Craig as I am today, but also Sergio Rodriguez and Alejandro Villegas in other weeks in turns. But I will be the constant. So that means you will not hear Gabriel on here anymore. Don't worry, he's fine. We just decided to make a change. If you miss Gabriel's voice and perspective, you can become a patron of the show on Patreon and watch him on Barca Talk Cafe. He's still doing that with Mariana Guzman every Friday for our Patreon supporters. As for what's going to happen here on this show, we're going to focus on the games we all just watched in the previous week. First, with the two-touch segment like you just heard, and then we're going to dive deeper into themes and trends that those games brought up for us. So that's the plan, and we're going to see if you all are into it. So let us know what you think about it. Give us a mention on Twitter, at BarsaTalkPod, or you can mention me directly at BarsaTalk underscore Brian. That's Brian with an E, B-R-I-E-N, to tell us what you think. And if you do want to support the show with some money and get some exclusive content, including BarsaTalk Cafe with Gabriel, follow the link to Patreon in our show notes. Now, let's get back to this LJ match. So in the first half, Barcelona managed only two shots, both from Trincao. With Messi dropping deep and Martin Braithwaite spending the majority of his time at left wing, there was nobody to occupy the center halves, so Elche owned the box with one exception, and it was one of those Trincao shots that finished off a play that Messi started with a dribble, and one center half stepped up to him. De Jong was running into the box, another center half went with him, Trincao had come inside, and Messi gave him the ball. He set up a great chance for himself, but it was saved. That was the brightest spot of the first half for me. Yeah, we 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 were poor. I think static, slow, rigid. Kind of a lot of the a lot of the negatives that we've seen regularly and obviously it got better and we'll get we'll get into that, but it was just a, it was a frustrating performance and I don't know about you, but I kind of thought here we go again, one of those nights. You know, I actually don't think we've been 
terrible, terrible that many times this season, but we've seen a lot of these first half performances that have, haven't quite got into that second or third gear. So yeah, just, I think if I was going to give it one word, I would just say it was a static 45 minutes, really. Well, for me, it was really just another instance of something we've seen from this team so many times, and that's a lack of width stemming from playing non-wingers in wing positions, mm. such as Braithwaite playing at left wing, right? It yeah. shouldn't come as any surprise when those guys, Griezmann, Braithwaite, don't actually play wide. And I, you know, I can point to a couple of recent games where in the rare instances where we've actually had two out-and-out wingers playing on the wings, a true center forward actually playing forward, and a 10, preferably Messi, they scored more than they were without that setup. And I think that that static issue that you that you raised was, I mean, it was really exposed in the second half when Kuman made the change that created the width that allowed goals to be scored because we, we managed only two shots, obviously no goals in the first half. Yeah. And that staticness for me came a lot from how narrow things were happening. You know, we, we are making things hard for ourselves by mm-hmm. making the pitch significantly smaller than it needs to be. The, the width for me is the, is the easiest thing we need to fix. Yeah, well, like one example of this, if you go back to just not that long ago, early February against Betis, right? Once Trincao came on for Braithwaite, we had him and Dembele playing on the wings, Griezmann at center forward and Messi in the 10 spot. And they scored three goals in that game, but not until after that change. It's almost so simple that it gets missed in my eyes in the sense <laughs> of if you just break down what the defense needs to do to counteract that, if you've got two people hugging touch lines, well, their fullbacks need to go, which means their center halves need to make a decision similar to what we saw with Busquets at the start of the season for us, where we were upset about the way he was playing is that what does that midfielder do? Your center halves don't know what to do. That midfielder has a choice. And all of a sudden the, the defense is in disarray. And even if you're, if, even if your wingers do nothing, it is going to help your your forwards and your midfielders make some decisions. And we just aren't giving defenders that difficult decision. That's why I love Trincao so much, because he makes defenders think. Dembele, when he's not being warped, makes <laughs> the, makes defenders think. What we haven't done enough this year is make, is make fullbacks think. They've had it so easy. They've been able to go two-on-one with our strikers so often. Than not. I feel really sorry for Griezmann in some of this, because he gets a lot of the blame. But if you're constantly crowded out, then what what do you do? So I think, yeah, the games that we've played well, it, it's when we've had people playing in positions that they're comfortable with and that have made defenders make difficult decisions. We've we've been too easy to play against this season. Right. And again, it's like that that width issue for me. Like um I'll I'll give you another another example uh where Messi wasn't involved, right? Because mm. you, you can always sort of hold him up and say uh he saved everything, right? But if you go back to Abar, late December, uh yeah. Trincao came on for Griezmann kind of late in the game, 66 minutes or so. So, But once he did that, we had Trincao and Dembele on the wings, yeah. Braithwaite at center forward, right? Yeah. Not the best center forward. We know this. But at least we had a center forward playing in the nine position. No Messi. And they scored almost immediately. Yeah, 100%. I mean, let, let's look at the goals from this LJ game. And if, if we look at two of them, so certainly the one that Frankie de Jong set up for Messi springs to mind. Great so run. Frank, Frank, yeah, 100%. But let's break down why that run can happen, though. That gap doesn't exist in most of the games that we've played this season because the defenders were stretched. The amount of times that we've played against compact defences. Now, this isn't a new problem for Barca. Teams are always going to set up to try and compact us in because it makes sense. But what we've always done is we've forced them out. 
let's we can go back forever over this. We've got Henri, we've got Pedro, we've got all of these players that stretch wings. And we just haven't been doing that. Whereas if you look at that run, a midfielder only gets there. Frankie Young only gets there because there's a gap to run into. You know, people, the, the camp now is a big pitch. Mm. For anyone for anyone who's got, had the luxury of going and, and being there in person, whether that's to watch a match or do a tour, it is ginormous. Absolutely ginormous. The only, the only, I've, I've played on a pitch of the same dimensions. I'm not a bad footballer. And I, and I struggled to get the ball from one side to the other until I got used to the dimensions of it. It is huge. So what we used to do is then make that feel bigger. And, and Gary Neville spoke about this here in the UK, about it, the pitch would feel bigger than it was. What, what, I don't understand why we started compressing this pitch. Mm-hmm. There's a reason that poor teams play on small pitches. It's because it's easier to control the space, but we're allowing the opposition to, to, to control that space for us. And I think that's, that's what we saw in the second half. That's what we saw. Obviously, we're going to talk about Sevilla later and without jumping ahead. We saw that better is let's play to our strengths instead of allowing the opposition to play to their strengths, which is let's stretch the pitch. Let's open channels. Let's open gaps. And especially when we've got players with the likes of Dembele's speed, Let's use him and allow him to exploit it. And I think, yeah, you're right. We've got some really good examples of when this has worked. What I think we need to see now is, is that we kick on from this Elche second half. And is, this starts to become the norm rather than a talking point, if that makes sense. I mean, obviously, we're a podcast. We need talking points. But I think this is <laughs> this is so fundamental that it kind of, I feel like that we shouldn't be talking about this. This should just be happening. Right. We shouldn't have to be talking about this, but yeah. It, and, but this game presented the perfect opportunity to do so because of the stark difference, right? That's because, it. B- between the first half and the second yeah, half, and this one change that made such a big difference. Now, when we think of wingers and center forwards, what I want to ask you is what are we looking for and what are mm-hmm. we actually getting when we play Braithwaite or Griezmann on the wing and Messi as the quote unquote center forward? With Dembele all alone on one wing. For me, and and we we had this chat when we were when we were talking just before we came live on air, and we when when we asked the question, who is the the ideal or the textbook Barca winger? We both at the same time said Pedro. We we gave yeah. the answer exactly at the same moment. And for me, it, he, he is that. And if I look for for breaking this down, I look for three things. Number one, they've got to be they've got to be clever. You have they have to be positionally clever because what you do impacts what everyone else does and if i look at Henri pedro our wingers at the minute fatty and dembele in particular they share the same traits they're quick they're skillful they're direct they don't mind shooting they're not always the best at it but they don't mind doing it <laughs> that's that that to me is a barca winger positional sense pace and the ability to scare defenders in terms of what you might do, not what you always do. Pedro was amazing at it. What, what about you? What do you look for? I mean, exactly what you've just said. And I, I really like the point about not because you're going to get the ball, because you might get the ball. And that's, yeah. especially, um, that's especially where Braithwaite doesn't work too well yeah. um, as a winger. Because, one, he's going to drift in. He's going to want to drift mm-hmm. in because he's a center forward. That's where he is just naturally going to gravitate towards. And, of course, Kuman isn't going to take him off at halftime for doing that. And there's clear evidence to that. Yeah. But then also, um, he's not a good winger. Yeah. He's, he's not direct. He's not a great dribbler. He doesn't scare defenders. So he doesn't draw them. And we, we so I, I played center half for a long time. And you, you, before before a game or very quickly in a game, you, you get a feel for what the player that you're playing against does. And this is, you know, this is amateur football. This is no scouting. It's no, you know, I don't know who these players are. And within a few minutes, you can sense what's going to happen. So if I'm playing against someone who is six foot five and he goes wide, 
then I'd be saying to my centre half partners, let him go, let him go, yeah. let him, st- and and I, that would be a win for me because he can't he can't hurt me there, but he can hurt me in the six yard box getting on the top on top of crosses. Brathwaite's like that, so his skill set is not a winger. So if he goes wide, I'm letting him go personally, and I and I will as a full back, I would be happy two against one because I think I can beat him. What we need Brathwaite doing is being that is being that number nine. I have this thing in my head where I say the 10 is the glamour, the nine is the work. Mm. And that's what we need him to be doing. And that's what he's good at is, okay, we need you to be a rebound for passes to Messi. We need you to be running into channels and making upsetting defenders. We need you to be niggling them and harrying them and rushing them and pressuring them. What we don't need is you out on the wing trying to put a cross in that you're meant to be getting on the end of. Yeah, We're taking these players wide, but they're not, the people we need wide. The players wide are then either forced to stay there and become redundant. Coutinho was terrible for this. Mm-hmm. Is it, He then becomes redundant. People saying he's doing nothing. Well, no, he's not because someone else is in his spot. Or they come inside and then you, then you start having someone like Messi trying to get on the end of crosses and it's not going to work. So I think, yeah, the, 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 the width point plays into this, which is we need width, but we need the right width and we need the players wide who need to be wide and the players in the middle who need to be in the middle. But ultimately, I just think the system needs to settle itself down a bit. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. We've been doing this for, where are we now, 50 years, 40 years? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we, we should be we should be well-versed in this, but we do have, just to temper, because this is not meant to be negative, just to temper that, we've got a lot of young and a lot of new players into this system. And I think it will settle, but, you know, the, the second half gave me so much more good feelings about this system coming together than the first half did, but it was noticeable because of the changes that you've pointed out there. Once Koeman made that change, it worked immediately and Braithwaite was Braithwaite was exactly in the spot that you were yeah. just describing he should be in and he was able to make the assist for Messi on that goal. And that's exactly where I want him to yeah. be. And, you know, some may think, in fact, one commentator here in the States tried to claim that it was all Messi's brilliance that sort of started the scoring, but that's it's just not true, right? That play would not have happened if Braithwaite or somebody hadn't been there to yeah. lay that pick, have their back to goal, give Messi someone to play the ball off of. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and look at the look at the Jordi Alba goal. Although I'm grossly underqualified to do so, if I was to sit down with Braithwaite and say, okay, if there's one action that sums up what you offer this Barcelona team, it's that five yard header into Jordi Alba's path. He yeah. is the player in this team, other than Griezmann, who understands how to get off the back shoulder of a defender because he's done it all his life. So I'd be saying to him, I don't care about your your heat map. Right. I don't care about your kilometers covered. If you walk for 90 minutes, but you put three of them headers back across the box, we'll score and you'll have earned your money. And yeah. I think that's what we need from, from Brathwaite is, you know, yes, there will be the number nine like Suarez who can do that little bit more, but he's still inherently doing the same things that we need Brathwaite to do. Upset defenders, stay on the back shoulder, be offside a lot because you're trying to be off, off the back shoulder, but stay in the middle. You effectively need Brathwaite to be the, the forward focus for Messi and the wingers getting things into them too in the box. It's it's kind of simple when you break it down, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, let me just close up by coming back to the wingers because uh, Turinkau was clearly more comfortable on the right than on the mm. left. Dembele can play either side, but if Dembele is better on the left than on the right, then that would work out great uh, because then we could put Dembele on the left, Trinko on the right. It's awesome. Yeah. So is Dembele better on the left? I think 100%. And I, and I think I think there's a really clear reason why. So oh. De- Dembele is inherently two-footed, as we know. If you listen, certainly in, in the UK, the commentators will always talk about how he doesn't know his favorite side. Well, watching him, I think I think I know what it is. 
And I think it's not it's not about his technique in either foot. It's how his brain works mm. when he's on one side of the pitch to the other. And I think if we, we spoke about this a couple of weeks ago on a podcast and I said, when he's on the right, he, he closes the goal down for himself and gives himself almost no chance of scoring. By the time he's decided what he's doing, he's so narrow to the byline that he's got nothing to hit. When you see him on the left, he plays with so much more of the pitch open to him. So when he's shooting across goal, A, you've got more chance of scoring, and B, more importantly, you've got more chance of the keeper saving it and it being a rebound rather than saving it and it being a corner. Mm-hmm. So I think from for Dembele's perspective, he looks more comfortable, he makes better decisions, and I think he scares defenders more from the left than he does on the right. So even if he doesn't think he's better there, I think he is. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the obvious question would be if he plays on the left, where does Fatty play when he comes back? But let's cross that bridge when we come to him. Yeah, I mean, I just want to have Fatty back, period. So. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> so now we can move on to the weekend match against Sevilla. Um, and after taking that 2 nothing lead in the Copa del Rey, they thought that they knew what to expect from Barcelona, but Kuman had other ideas, and we're going to run it down when we return. Welcome back to Barca Talk. We're talking about Barcelona's 3-0 win against Elche. That was in the first half. And now we're going to talk about the 2-0 win at Sevilla last week. If Real Sociedad can beat Real Madrid this Monday, Barca will be in second place and one point ahead of Real Madrid. But they still have some catching up to do on Atletico Madrid to make a play for the league. So they've been playing Sevilla a lot lately with the Copa del Rey loss. Now this 2-0 win in La Liga. They're going to be meeting them this week. But let's do the two-touch on this match real quick. What was your best moment from this match? Uh, for me, it's Elijah Mariba. So there's two moments encapsulating one guy. Uh, his assist was incredible. Um, and the big thing for me was the moment in the match where he closed down the goalkeeper, when he closed down Bono and, and, and it was a goal kick. We've not seen that intensity from a player for a little while, and that really stood out to me. He, he's he got a bright future, that kid. Yeah, I feel like he was really kind of, uh, it was like an interview tactic when he made mm-hmm. that press on Bono. He was out there telling Kuman like, hey, take a look 100%. at what I can do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> but also yeah. that touch for Messi was... I was, it, was, it was it was amazing. So I thought he, he was my highlight. What about yours? Mine was just overall the possession and defense. They held Sevilla to zero shots in the first half, four shots total with only two on target, which, of course, is much, much better than they did against Sevilla just two weeks prior in the Copa del Rey. That was yeah. best best for me. Now let's move on to worst. What was worst for you in this game? I think we have to talk about the injuries, don't we? Seeing mm. seeing Pedri limp off and then seeing Araujo, even if he looks like he's going to be okay, but seeing them two leave the pitch was uh, was upsetting. And hopefully they'll they'll not be out too long for both of them. So yeah, that was that was it for me. You know, Pedri, that was really disappointing. Although he's just he's been asked to play so many minutes and he's so young, it was. I mean, mm. I really think it was just a matter of time before he pulled yeah, up on agrees. on some injury. And with Araujo, that was. Uh, such a bummer. He played, what, 10 minutes or so? Yeah, and you, you made the great point as well that, you know, the best thing to do immediately after getting an injury probably isn't to go and kick some infrastructure when he kicks right. over. So hopefully the med- medical staff have took him at one side and told him that that probably won't help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, for me, the worst moment was uh, in the 33rd minute when Ter Stegen nearly gave up a goal. He made a pass out of the box that went straight to a Sevilla player. I mean, normally he's very reliable. I love Ter Stegen, but this moment he just he really made me hang my head in disappointment for him. So that was a that was a worst moment yeah. for me. Now, finally, let's talk about Bleh 
or actually for you, I know you, I know what yours is going to be, and it's not really bleh, but like no, it's, it, the, it, it's neither worst nor best. That's um, it. Like with, with this with this one for me, it's not bleh, but I was too scared to put it in best, <laughs> and it's obviously not worst. But I, I'll whisper it. But do we need to start giving Busquets some credit? He's looking. <laughs> he's looked quite good since the last time I told him he was finished and should get out of my club. He's looking all right. Uh, I, th- I thought he, I thought he played well again at the weekend. I think he's. He's doing quite well for us recently, and I think he, he deserved a shout out. So yeah, not Blair, but we'll also see if it's even remotely permanent. What about well, yours? Thing, <laughs> well, the other thing about um, this particular lineup against Sevilla is that he was surrounded by two midfielders on each side of him. Yeah, he was able to stay more central, and I think that really helped him in this match in particular. But yeah, overall, the past few weeks, he does seem like he's been doing better. I think the only thing is that you just know that. You know, it's it's a high now, but he's he's going to go down again, probably in the not too distant future. Yeah. yeah, sadly, I think you're exactly right. But let's enjoy it while we can. Eh? Absolutely. Enjoy it as long as we can. Now, for me, the bleh moment was the 61st minute with this incredible build up to a shot. Dembele went through all this trouble to run the ball into the box, made it an excellent run, excellent play. He dishes it off for Messi, of all people, and Messi skies it. It was just, it had so many great things about it. And then this horrible finish at the end, absolutely bleh for me. But was it not nice to know that Dembele was involved in something that wasn't him that you were shaking your head at for once? That must yeah, have been I mean, comforting. Silver lining. Yeah, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, Dembele played well, but I know I know what you mean. To see someone go through that and then it comes to nothing, it's it's frustrating, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Now, this formation that Kuman went with, uh, you could call it a 3-5-2 or a 3-4-1-2 if you prefer. Uh, it was short on forwards compared to what we normally play. And that gave Dembele especially this chance to run free. Almost everyone else, though, was in a much more rigid position. And I wonder, is that what changed Barcelona's fortunes against Sevilla, especially comparing it to the Copa del Rey loss? Well, you're about to find out. But let me just take 20 seconds to say to our listeners, thanks for being here today. I know you don't listen to every episode, and that's why we have redesigned our newsletter to keep you caught up with the show, even when you aren't listening. It's a short summary of the entire episode that you can read in about two minutes, delivered to your inbox every Wednesday. Subscribe to the newsletter through the link in our show notes. Now let's get back to this issue of positional sense in the Sevilla match. Kuman probably still aching. From that Copa del Rey loss. I know I've brought it. I've said the words Copa del Rey. I, I feel like five times in five minutes. But <laughs> I, I, I just think it's so interesting to compare that loss with this win. Yeah. Um, he went with this formation that made Messi and Dembele the only traditional forwards in the 11. While Jordi Alba and Serginho Dest were very deliberately set up as wingbacks. Three center halves in the back. And it worked really well. Right. We already mentioned the low number of shots that Sevilla were able to take. Only four uh, throughout the whole game. Barcelona had the possession, 56%, generally looked more comfortable with this system. And one read on this is they sacrificed firepower for the ability to handle pressure. And they got something else out of that deal that some might say they've been lacking. Some might argue they need more of it. And that's positional discipline. So why don't you explain what we mean by this and how this system encourages that kind of discipline? Yeah, it's a really interesting point. And I think you're... Your, your assessment of it is perfect in the sense of it's taken off some firepower 
But what it's allowing us to do is use the firepower we've got better because it's pointless having six players on the pitch who in theory could score lots of goals if none of them have a clue what they're doing at any one time because you're, it, it's not the same. It's a, it's a false economy. So I think what, what this system does for me, which I think is fascinating, is that you almost mandate for your players where they need to be. If we would have been hypercritical of our players, a lot of them look like they're, they're not football intelligent yet. We can expect that of a lot of them. Pedri is the anomaly because he seems to be so wise beyond his years. But if you look at the other players that we've got, they're very young in their career. And so we're not being harsh when we say that. They, they, they shouldn't be football intelligent to the same level as a PK or a Busquets or whatever. Sure. So what, what this system does is it kind of forces people to be where they need to be. because, And, and let's work this from the back out. So we've got PK. We've then got a combination of Mingessa, Araujo, Longley. Longley is the most experienced. We're still not uber experienced. By having them three centre-halves in that system, they are going to know immediately if they're too close to, the, to, their, to their counterpart. So it instantly gives them a benchmark as to where they should be. Same with Destin Alba. So Alba is, I mean, very, very, very experienced. He, he's just on rails at this point. Right. We're not asking him to do any more than he needs to. Yeah. Dest, however, can but shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. And the one criticism I would have of him is that it's sometimes his positional sense has gone a little bit awry. So again, this system gives Dest a very, very, very straightforward assessment and assignment is that you move up and down when you need to be up and down. Don't worry about what's inside you because we've got this covered. In the middle, it's the same principle. We are putting this little ring fence around Busquets and saying, don't you don't need to run. I keep saying this, and I think people think I'm being harsh, but I'm saying just stop stop running. Stop pretending you're a footballer that can do anything other than what we need you to do, which is recycle the ball, shield it, protect it, and move it on. And that's exactly what he does so well. And that's exactly what he does so well, 100%. And this system puts enough bodies around him that that's all he needs to do, and he does it better than anyone in world football. We've gone back to that with him. You've then got the two other central midfielders who, again, have got a very obvious assignment now because you've got two people next to you, you've got one person behind you, you've got people in front of you, you know where you need to be. And if you're out of position, you'll you'll realise. And then you've got the two forwards who are just taking half the pitch. You've got a literal line of people behind you. Take half the pitch and be where you need to be. And it, it's genius, really, because if you've got players who are struggling to adapt to a system, you've got two options as Koeman. You either try and batter them into it and hope they become football intelligent all the night, or you put something in place for them to do something. And the, be- the, the best way I can describe it is I can't use chopsticks. And bear with me, this is, this is going somewhere. Neither do I. <laughs> I, can't, I can't use them. Yeah. So I, I've got two options, right? Well, I've got three options. One, I look an idiot. But or I go into, when I go into a Chinese restaurant, I either say, can I have a fork, please? Now, that would be fine. You know, if, if we realize that all of our players know 4-4-2 mm-hmm. and we persist in playing 4-3-3, then that's the equivalent of just, okay, well, we'll start playing that instead. That's, that's can I have a fork, please? We all know how to use a fork. <laughs> Let's play fork. But that's not the case because we've got players who have played different systems. The other alternative is that we get those kids ones that have got a little elastic band on the top. <laughs> and I think that's what Koeman's done here is that it is, it is a Barca formation a la it is chopsticks, but he's managed to put the safety net of the elastic band around the chopsticks by giving all of their players an obvious assignment that the, the last thing it did, and this is a long answer and I'm sorry, mm. is and, and Dest and Juan Jordan of Sevilla both admitted this is that it's a different system. And Des was like, they didn't expect us to set up like this. And then Juan Jordan said, we didn't expect them to set up like this. Yeah. So as well as all of the comfort blankets and safety nets it put in, it's a bright, it's surprised to be who we've played a lot, as you've mentioned. So really, 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 really impressive from Kuman for me. 
yeah. I, I, I was blown away by the way he set up and uh, it, it's reaped the rewards, but very, very, very interesting setup from what we've seen. Yeah, he put the training wheels on a 4-3-3 and this is what we got. 100%. That's it. <laughs> that's He's great. made it simple for all of them. You yeah. know, they, they, yes, yes, they're elite professionals, but, you know, we, we all have things in our day jobs that we don't quite feel comfortable with, but we have to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's put some training around it. Sure. And that's effectively what he's doing. It's, 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 it's making them comfortable and look at Dembele, like arguably one of his best performances this season. Oh yeah. Because he's not overthinking anything. It's obvious what he needs to do. Mm-hmm. Dest, it's obvious what he needs to do. Busquets, it's obvious what he needs to do. Mingessa, it's obvious what he needs to do. Right. Yeah. The, a lot fewer positional mistakes and the, the heat map proves this out. Actually, it shows mm-hmm. all the mids, including Dest and Alba and all the forwards pretty much occupying their own space. So mm-hmm. no one was stepping on anyone's toes necessarily. And when you put them all together, they owned that midfield compared to Sevilla. Yeah. I mean, they just absolutely dominated it. And then we got these uh, two great goals out of it as well. Yeah. The, the saying is as old as the game itself, but if you dominate the midfield, you dominate the game. And it's just genius. I mean, we'll see if it's something that carries on because maybe it's the element of surprise that's caught teams out. But I, I mean, you've got to give Kuman a lot of credit for the, for setting the team this way. It took a lot of, that takes a lot of, um, bravery <laughs> well i'm not i'm not I'm, yeah it's a question of was he scared to do it or not now i mean like, and this is not to say that rigid is better than fluid right or even that one gets better results than the other yeah. because really they've gotten good results with both styles i can point you to Oliveira a couple of weeks ago they won 5-1 with a more rigid yeah. kind of setup um osasuna back in november they won that four nothing on the whole midfields and forwards dominated the center of the pitch entirely with just a little bit more action in the left channel but you know overall really balanced uh, mm-hmm. very disciplined then there were other games like against Granada early January where they kind of skewed to the right because of Dembele being stuck on that right flank but they were uh, individuals were operating in a much more fluid way and they still yeah. managed to dominate the middle third, right? So there are these examples. And in this game, it definitely seemed more rigid. And I think it really comes down to knowing how to best handle a particular opponent, right? It seems the players on the whole, like you mentioned, right, they can't necessarily figure that out on their own in real time right now because they aren't football smart, as you put it, right? And that just puts more pressure on Kuman to get his lineup right and his instructions right leading up to the match because once that whistle blows, it's going to be all up to the players. Yeah, 100%. And beauty is in the eye of the beholder, right? So if you said to me, what's better, jazz music or grunge? <laughs> and I would say, well, a jazz a jazz band playing jazz is better than a grunge band playing jazz. Definitely. And a grunge band playing grunge is better than a jazz band playing grunge. So it, it I don't depends. know. It might be it, kind of hilarious. <laughs> yeah, potentially. And you know, we, we have put in some hilarious performances this season, but not for good reasons. Yeah. But, you know, and that's where I think it is. It's not about rigidity and fluidity. It's about comfort. It's irrelevant what Kuman is comfortable with if the players aren't. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what this does. It's not about it being five across the middle per se. And if the most comfortable we can make our players is that they're in rigid systems, brilliant. If it's when they're in fluid systems, brilliant. I don't care. Like, I just want us to play well. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what it is. And I think if we can shake it up, great. But, you know, we had a long discussion about Elche and about Brathwaite. And that, it's no secret that, number nine Brathwaite who's played at number nine his entire career is more comfortable and more useful for us when he's playing as number nine. Mm-hmm. Let's put Tesh Degg on a left wing and see how he does. <laughs> We're not going to do that. So why do we insist in putting other players out of position just because it's kind of the same? It's not like if you're, if you're an elite center midfielder, 
that doesn't mean you can automatically be an elite winger. It's a, it's a different skill set. And I think that's, that's probably what Kuman's wrestling with is that we've got a lot of players who are quote unquote forwards, mm-hmm. but what does that mean in reality? And I think that's, that's hopefully what we're seeing now is the genesis of those decisions and, and his interpretation of where these players fit. And this is where he sees them. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what we do next week now positionally, because I think he may have hit on something, which is yeah. let's just put these players where they want to play. Yeah, maybe. Well, okay. So I have a, a final question for you with a large, mm. a long preamble. I was watching. Uh, I watched was watching this little uh, documentary, quote unquote, on Barca TV Plus about the style they teach in La Masil. I mean, really, it was propaganda or marketing, mm. to put it more charitably. But anyway, um, the head of youth methodology was talking about how most teams strive to be more solid, but at La Masia, they're always trying to find ways to be more fluid. That, of course, means certain skills that will serve the possession game in particular, really well in any area of the field. And that's what you get with Sergio Roberto, for example. And mm. that's also what I see in Minguesa as well. Yeah. Not, to, not to mention Busquets, of course, as far as you know, players who we still have who came up in that academy. Yeah. Because we once had what appeared to me to be the most fluid team under Pep. Mm. And like you said, that's because all these players could play each of these positions equally well. And they're the reference point for fans like myself who came in during that time. But, you know, they were also brilliant. They made it look easy. Not everyone yeah. can pull that off, of course, because it's extremely difficult. So in what situations against which teams can this team be fluid and effective, do you think? How can I answer this succinctly? Let me take a step back before I go forwards. So that that idea, that propaganda is exactly that. It's propaganda. But the propaganda actually comes from Renus Meikles in the 60s and 70s in Holland, right? And mm. that our, our entire football basse idea, of which La Masia is part of, is all because of this. And it's not about fluidity of position. It's about fluidity of ability to be in that position. Mm. So Meikles' idea was your goalkeeper should be able to play centre forward and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And if you train often enough in this, you'll be fine. And then the fluidity is that your triangles always move, but everyone's comfortable being at any point of that triangle. So I I think, yeah, the Pep, Pep's team was fluid, but it was full of people that knew what they should do with their enough. If you find yourself with your back to goal and you're in the quote-unquote right midfield spot, you know what to do at that point because you've done it for the entire 17 years you've been coming up through La Masia, and we just happen to have a larger quantity of those players in there. So I think for, for this for this team, the, the questions are really hard on to answer because we don't know yet. We don't mm-hmm. know when they can be fluid and when they can't be because we've got a lot of players who aren't settled in. So it's, it's a really hard one to answer, and I think it depends who's on the pitch at any one time. I would like to think that we give youth a chance. I'd like to think that for two reasons. One, it's the right thing to do. Two, we need to not buy anyone this summer. Yeah. Um, and so I think hopefully that question will answer itself. But I think it's a really hard one without knowing the players on the pitch because that's what Pep's team had ultimately is they had people that had done that for 15 years. Coutinho will never have the speed of thought in a Barca team that Xavi did. Fact. No, no. And and, and we, we it's almost unfair to judge them by the same standards. And that's why I think what Koeman's done in this severe game is that's why it's such genius because it's taken the thought out of what is a split second decision for a lot of these players. You know, they're, they're not saying, what what do I do? Do I turn inside or outside? No, I can't. Ah, what a really interesting question. But yeah, I think the, the question is, who who knows? Yeah. Ultimately. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> well, we'll uh, I mean, obviously, we're going to be paying attention to that now. But let's, <laughs> let's look ahead um, to this week's games. Again, Sevilla, second leg, Copa del Rey semifinal on Wednesday 
at the home ground, Camp Nou. Mm. And then Osasuna next Saturday, that's away. Of course, Barca's two goals behind Sevilla, but the league win shows that they still have something up their sleeve. Can they come back and win this? Is it important for them to do that? I don't care. <laughs> I, I'm not bothered. For me, and I've said this all season, I care about performances this year more than I care about trophies. I would happily see us win nothing if we overhaul this squad and they and they look comfortable. Yeah. And I think we're starting to see a young squad look comfortable playing the best teams in La Liga. Let's hope that in time that means that we're comfortable in the best teams in the uh, the best teams in the Champions League, and I'll be happy. So I'm I'm not bothered. I care more about the Osasuna game even though the league may be gone, than I do about the, the Copa del Rey game. I, I, I watch it. I hope we win. I, but I, I don't think this season is about trophies for me. How about you? Yeah, well, I mean, that's the second or third time I've heard you mention that. Yeah, and I'm sure you've mm. said it even more than that, right? That, <laughs> and I, I appreciate that sentiment. Like, this is not the year where trophies are the highest priority. I, nope. I, don't, I think that's absolutely a good read on this season. As for Osasuna, right, you kind of mentioned a good positional sense did win them that last game. That was a 4 nothing. Uh, and based on these last two performances from this last week, what are you going to be looking for against Osasuna next weekend? I want to see how he sets up. Sure. Uh, I, want to see, I want to see how he puts these players out on the pitch, and I particularly want to see what he does with Dembele. I think his thinking on Dembele in this next game will tell us his, his thinking on Dembele as a professional footballer. If he puts him out right again, he doesn't believe in him. Well, for everyone out there listening, tell us what you're thinking about the Copa del Rey and Osasuna games. Give us a Twitter mention at Barca Talk Pod. And until next time, Bisco Barca. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.